Hey, it's Paul here again. Just a quick reminder that today's episode is one of our very first episodes that we recorded and released, and it's before we started using immersive storytelling techniques like sound design and music and narration. Now, of course, the story itself is very powerful and very relevant to today, but if you enjoy those types of elements like sound design and narration and music, then make sure to listen to some of our newer content that we've released as well. And now, on to the show. And what I learned is that the the love and acceptance we long for is only found in Christ. You know, we are accepted by God, not because of what we do or who we are or where we come from. We're accepted by God on the basis of the work that Christ has done for us. I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to Compelled, real people telling true stories about God's compelling love working in their lives. I'll tell you more about Compelled and share a sneak peek of our next episode right after our story. Also, at the end of today's episode, I'll share an opportunity to win an autographed book from today's guest. Today's episode features the story of Juan Sanchez, who was converted from Catholicism into the Christian faith. Shortly after his conversion, Juan began a journey into full-time ministry filled with crazy, God-ordained circumstances, including time on the United States' worst naval ship. Juan currently serves as president of the Southern Baptist Convention of Texas, he's a council member for the Gospel Coalition, and he's the pastor at High Point Baptist Church. Juan, I'm just so glad to sit down here and talk with you, and uh, I've been looking forward to this interview for, man, probably a couple months, actually. So to just kind of start out, can you introduce yourself and tell us about yourself? Sure. Uh, My name is Juan Sanchez. Uh, I've been in Austin for 13 years now, uh, married to Janine Dell of Gainesville, Florida. We have five daughters from 26, almost 27, all the way to 15 years of age. Okay, that's exciting. Uh, Juan, I've, I've read a lot about you online, and then I've had the privilege to meet you and talk with you on different occasions. Can you, I guess let's just start from the beginning. Can you tell us about your childhood growing up and what that looked like? I, I was born in Puerto Rico in uh, 1965. Uh, Catholic family, like most people in Puerto Rico. My dad was involved in politics. He was pretty fanatical. Yeah. And so he painted our car the color of the political party. Oh, my and, goodness. And uh, Levittown was a small town. Uh, he had run for mayor in that town. And he worked for a man who would become governor of, of Puerto Rico. Oh, wow. So he was pretty invested in the politics. And the politics in Puerto Rico were pretty rough. So I remember one night um, we went to the movie theaters and coming out, uh, our car was on blocks. Someone had removed the tires. One night, I remember uh, my mom crying, and I remember walking into the room, and um, uh, it was some kind of uh, really bad phone call. And I remember the very next day, my grandmother um, paying for iron girdings to be put on the windows and doors of our house. Oh man! You know, so it was that kind of intensity. And then in 1973, my dad took us out of that. And we moved to this very peaceful town in central Florida uh, called Avon Park. We moved in April, and so I went to summer school immediately, you know, once school was out, to to begin learning English. And uh, from my memory, that was just very difficult, Hmm. and it didn't happen very quickly. I was a pretty terrible kid from everything I was told and everything I remember, and so... uh, I was rebellious in school. I mean, keep in mind, this is third grade. And so I was rebellious. I did the very opposite of the things that the teachers asked me to do. 
It wasn't until I was in the sixth grade that I, I began to gain some focus. And I focus all my energies in, in learning uh, the trombone. The trombone. And so, so that's what I was focused on. By that time, I knew English. You know, so third grade, I'm learning English. You know, probably took me a year or two to, to learn English. By middle school, I'm pretty confident in, you know, in, in English enough to, to navigate uh, middle school years. I gain a focus, hmm. and that kind of shifts my direction, hmm. you know, from being a hellion to, to being a pretty good kid, a pretty good student. Um, I was going to, to Catholic mass, uh, became an ultra boy, and actually became really devoted as a Roman Catholic. And as an ultra boy, uh, I wanted to go to mass, you know, every week. My parents were nominal Catholic, hmm. so I would have to wake them up to take me to mass. And I remember a priest, uh, who was a retired Air Force chaplain who took me under his wing and showed me the ways of the Catholic church, you know, taught me, uh, about Catholic uh, theology and, and reverence and those kinds of things. And um, I remember going on a family vacation at 15 years of age, and uh, we went to Colorado Springs, which is kind of the evangelical capital of the United States. Yeah. And my dad's sister was going to a Nazarene church. Okay. And um, uh, I remember going to that church and hearing the gospel preached for the first time, or at least what I assume was the gospel, because it was the first time I heard anyone really talk about Jesus. Really? In the Roman Catholic Church, you know, there's there's the Mass, and you might have a homily of, you know, just 10 minutes. There's some there's some scripture reading, Old Testament, New Testament, gospel reading, um, but there there's a, a homily of just a few minutes, and so I'd never been exposed to preaching at all, and never been exposed to someone uh, exalting Christ. And... And what was it was an odd experience because I left there pretty angry. Uh, I wasn't, uh, I didn't not believe in Christ. I believed in God. I believed in in the Trinity. I believe each member of the Trinity was fully God. And so I I didn't disbelieve Orthodox Christianity. But there's so, there was something disturbing in my 15 year old Catholic mind that he talked so much about Jesus and so little about the Father. And so that was my first encounter with the preaching of Jesus. And um, came home, uh, turned 16 in the summer. Um, a friend invited me to lifeguard at a Baptist camp. And so he had uh, ulterior motives uh, to expose me to the hearing of the gospel so I would uh, get saved. Yeah. Uh, so as a good Southern Baptist, that was his evangelistic uh, agenda. Uh, but I went and uh, was lifeguarding at this camp, and every evening we would hear the preacher, and he would preach Christ. Wow. Uh, so that was the second time I was exposed to this kind of preaching. I had a fun week, but there was something that, that, that happened there that was pretty um, impacting, and that is those teenagers accepted me for who I was. I was Puerto Rican, I was Roman Catholic, and yet they love me in the way that I had always longed to be loved. Hmm. So, you know, coming from another country to the United States, not knowing the language as a child, you're just trying to fit into the majority culture. Yeah. You know, so uh, at that point, uh, everyone was a Dallas Cowboys fan. That was America's team. So I became a Dallas Cowboys fan. Uh, you Even know, though you're still it, living in Florida. I, I'm in Florida. I became a Dallas Cowboys fan because that's America's team. And then... Um, 
Cincinnati Reds were a big team, so I became a Cincinnati Reds fan. And so I'm just I'm just trying to grasp at things that would identify me with the American culture. Mm-hmm. And I remember this television show uh, called Chips, and uh, the first time I saw a Puerto Rican on television was on that show, and it was Eric Estrada. He parts his hair down the middle, so I started parting my hair down the middle. <laughs> so, so if you can imagine a middle a middle school kid who is not born in the United States, but ironically is a U.S. citizen. So I have all the privileges of citizenship, but I have the same experiences of an immigrant. Yeah, you know, coming into this yeah. world, learning the language, trying to fit in, trying to be accepted, and that human longing to be accepted and loved. And so that last year of high school. Um, again, this love that my peers extended to me and accepted to me was very compelling. And yeah. so some friends from high school invited me to play softball at their church. And so I began to play softball and began to attend their youth group meetings. And it's at their youth group meetings that I begin hearing the gospel again. But that, that's when it begins to come together. You know, they, they, they're not merely accepting me you know, because they're nice people, they're accepting me because God has accepted them and transformed their lives. And so now there's this 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 layer of there's something different about them. And I know about God, but they know God personally. Yeah. And so that was that that became really uh, important for me as I was thinking through that. And I remember toward the end of high school, uh, I was 17 years of age. And I went to one of the Sunday school teachers after one of the Wednesday night meetings, and I said, Kenny, you guys know God personally. I know about God. I know all about God, but I don't know God like you all know God. Mm. And I want to know God personally. So I remember one Wednesday night after youth group meeting, you know, toward the end of my high school years, um, my my senior year in high school, uh, just confessing my sin there that Wednesday night in, Mm. in, in his pickup truck. And um, and asking God to forgive me, wow. and and giving my life to Christ, and so uh, it was very interesting. My best friend who invited me to lifeguard, his mother began to disciple me, hmm. and so uh, she began to just help me understand the Bible and where the books of the Bible were, and you know just some basic discipleship uh, as to what it means to be a Christian, and then some basic doctrine uh, from a Baptist perspective. Uh, working through the Baptist faith and message at, at that time. What what point did you tell your parents yeah. that? Like, how did that yeah. go down? So one of the interesting things is uh, my parents couldn't afford college, and so um, I enlisted in the Navy when I was 17, and so I was in the delayed entry program. So already as I was graduating high school, I knew where I was going. Mm-hmm. So I was going to go into this pro. I was going to enlist, go to boot camp, and then go into this program called brought an opportunity for officer selection and training. And the idea there, it, it probably somewhat similar to Naval Academy Prep School, um, it was to prepare us, we, we literally went to a year of school, to prepare us to compete for scholarships or to gain entrance into the Naval Academy. Uh, I knew that was happening, and so there wasn't the pressure on me of I'm going to live with my parents in the same household. So this is the end of my senior year, and it would only be a matter of weeks you know, before I left. Uh, to go to boot camp in San Diego, California. But I remember telling my parents, and my dad uh, at that time basically said, look, Juan, this is a decision that you have to make 
for your own family, but understand that this decision is going to affect you for the rest of your life. Hmm. So he was very rational about it, hmm. very calm. My mom, on the other hand, you know, kind of blew up. Uh, mm. you know, she was pretty angry. Yeah, uh, accused me of destroying our family and and wreaking havoc upon our family. Oh man! And and the the Catholic priest uh, called my parents and basically told them what bad parents they were. Oh man! Um, oh. So it was a very difficult situation. But I I left that pretty soon thereafter, and and went to Navy boot camp in San Diego. And wow. and there weren't many privileges while in boot camp, but you know a few of the privileges. Uh, uh, that we had, I took advantage of two primary privileges, and that was just alone time to read the Bible. So I just read the Bible a lot as a mm. brand new Christian in boot camp, mm. and then I wrote letters and I w- would write letters, you know, regularly to my parents. And my parents were receiving these letters, and my mom um, thought I was in a cult, and so she, she thought you were in a cult. It was yeah, just, yeah, yeah. You're going to a, a Baptist, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've left the Catholic Church. I'm talking about Jesus. You know, I, I must be in some kind of cult. So Whoa. she took, I, my, my understanding is she took some of these letters that I had written to a friend of mine that led me to Christ, Kenny. Uh-huh. And she said, Kenny, what's going on with my son? And so I think he tried to explain. And then my best friend's uh, parents, you know, they were trying to explain to them. To make a, a long story short, um, uh, I went to boot camp in the summer of 1983, and then uh, for Christmas, uh, I came home uh, for leave for the first time. And in God's mercy, by that time, my parents had come to faith in Christ. Oh, wow. And, and, and my two sisters. Oh, praise uh, God. And I had a little brother that was born in Florida. He's eight years younger than I am, and uh, he professed faith in Christ uh, as well. And um, so... Uh, you know, the Lord was kind and merciful oh, uh, throughout all that. Well, praise God. That is so exciting. Yeah. yeah. I bet it's really encouraging for other people who are like, oh, I'll just invite my friend to like go to summer camp as yeah. the lifeguard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, is, that is so cool. Yeah. And, you know, and, and one of the things I would say is, you know, I think all of us as human beings created as God's image long for love and acceptance. Mm-hmm. And, and what I learned is that the, the love and acceptance we long for is only found in Christ. You know, we are accepted by God, not because of what we do or who we are or where we come from. We're accepted by God on the basis of the work that Christ has done for us. And so by faith in Christ, we are adopted sons and daughters, and we are part of a family. Wow. Have you ever wondered why traditional math curriculums seem like they have a one-size-fits-all approach? Well, that's because they do. The curriculum writers are making assumptions about how quickly your child is progressing, even if your child is actually struggling with a concept, which, if left unchecked, can become a major hurdle to learning and hurt their confidence. That's one of the reasons why CTC Math exists. It's an adaptive online approach that automatically changes depending on your child's unique learning needs. By adapting to your student's pace, learning becomes not only more effective, but also more enjoyable. Can you imagine? No more tears about fractions. The interactive questions change in difficulty based on how your child is progressing, ensuring that they're challenged at the level that's right for them. Not too hard, not too easy. It's just like having a math tutor who knows exactly what they need when they need it. And as a parent, you'll love the detailed reports. You'll get to see their progress in real time and celebrate their victories and understand their challenges. Ready to give your child's math education a major boost? 
Just visit ctcmath.com and sign up for a free trial and experience firsthand how personalized learning can transform your child's approach to math. Again, that's ctcmath.com. You love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aka tribe in Ecuador, but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing. And their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Ten Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for Compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free U.S. shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M, compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. Walk us forward through time. So you mm-hmm. mentioned, so we, we left off, you had enrolled in the military yeah. or, or, or gone through Navy boot camp. Yeah. Um, how did you go from there to the ministry? Sure, sure. Um, well, uh, I made it through uh, the boost program and I got a naval scholarship to the University of Florida. And what I realized was, you know, the Lord used youth ministry to draw me to himself. Hmm. I thought, okay, well, this is what happened in my life. I'm going to go pay back, you know, and I'm going to go work at a church. I'm not saying this is an accurate way of thinking, but just a young Christian mind without anyone speaking into my life. And so I started working at a small rural church outside of Gainesville, Florida. I mean, it was a small church. As a volunteer? Uh, As a youth and music minister. Interesting. And it was part-time, and it was very little money. Um, But it was one way, because I had a full scholarship, so it wasn't like I needed the money. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll just go and I'll I'll help. And as I'm doing that, um, I began to to sense this is what I need to be doing Hmm. for the rest of my life. Hmm. Okay. So then at that point, you were studying music. Was your intention to become a music minister then? No, uh, I had no intention to be a music minister, nor a band director. (laughs) Okay. But music was really all I knew and I enjoyed, and I figured it was my best path out of college. My dream was to be a commission officer in the military, and specifically to uh, fly jets for the Marine Corps. Mm. So that's, that's where I was going. That's the direction that I was going. 
And um, because that year of boost was so disciplined, you know, we had four companies uh, and I was in Delta Company. We had a Marine Corps staff sergeant and uh, our student company commander was a a Marine Corps sergeant. He was, uh, uh, you know, force recon. So we were very disciplined and and I thrived in that discipline atmosphere. Mm. People telling you when to get up, when to go to bed, you know, what, you know, to make your bed and all that. I thrived in that environment. And when I went to University of Florida, I was all alone. And so I, I wasn't partying or anything, but I just didn't get up to go to class. I didn't study. I enjoyed being in the band you know, the, the marching band. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed the social life. Um, and so I flunked, I flunked out my first semester. Oh man. And so, um, you know, so that was, that was kind of a wake up call. Oh man. Uh, and I was on academic probation. And ironically, uh, because of my grades, my grades weren't high enough to, to, uh, to keep going to the Marine Corps process. Oh man. Um, I did fine my second semester, you know, and, even though I flunked out my first semester and I did find my second semester and I, I need to work to get my grades up. Um, I, I tell them, I tell my lieutenant and my lieutenant commander of what I want to do. I want to relinquish my scholarship. I want to finish my enlistment. I want to come back and major in music. And my lieutenant commander, so funny. Uh, he said, "So you want to you want to go be Dizzy Gillespie?" And so that <laughs> you know, that that was his comeback to me. But my lieutenant was a little more forceful. Uh, I said, "Look, I'm you know I'm going to relinquish my scholarship." And he said, "No, you're not." And I said, "I am I'm going to relinquish my scholarship." He said, no, you're not. I said, "Yes, sir, I am." He said, "No, you're not." And then he said, "I'm going to send you to the warship in the navy," and uh, and he sent me to an oiler. The USS Detroit, uh, the worst ship in the Navy. Yes, and um, and I guess you could say that it was. It was the ship where they send everyone who flunks out of school. Oh man! Whether you're enlisted and you flunk out of your training school, uh, or in my case, you know, I was considered a flunky, and so I was sent to this ship uh, to the deck department uh, without any kind of rating or, or job, and um, I am there. With, with with those who have been rejected by their schools and have flunked out and and have basically this psychological label as a flunky. Wow. And so uh, it's a crew of 500 people. Uh, the very first week, you know, they put on a, a, a harness on me. I'm over the side of the ship painting haze gray. Oh, my goodness. And so um, uh, in God's providence, uh, one of the things that every sailor had to do on the ship was have an appointment with the uh, the chaplain on board. Hmm. And so in having this appointment with the chaplain on board, I told my story. And in, in God's providence, uh, the chaplain kind of rescues me from that situation. And he has a religious program specialist that's about to move on. And so he needs some help. And so he tasks me to do the job of a religious program specialist. On the ship. On the ship. Even though I'm not a religious program specialist, I literally have no rating. Yeah. You know, I'm the lowest man on the totem pole. I'm an E2 at this time. And I think I may be an E3. And uh, I have no job because I have no rating. I have not gone to any school. Mm. And so, um, but but I end up <laughs> being uh, on a crew of 500, uh, the only enlisted guy with his own private office, and I'm working with a chaplain wow. and and building a relationship with this uh, uh, with this chaplain. Wow! Yeah, 
That's crazy. And so how long were you on the ship? So again, God's hand was all over me. My friend Kenny, who led me to Christ, you know, he said, Juan, we're praying that you won't have to serve your time or that it'll be shorter. And I said, Kenny, you don't understand. The Navy's going to want to get all their money back. An arm and a leg out of you. That's right. You know, so I figured I was going to have to do a full enlistment, you know, or at least the the remain, remaining three years that I didn't serve as an enlisted person. And so I'm thinking about auditioning for one of the Navy bands, you know, and, and re-enlisting and extending my time. Um, and then it comes back that I only have to do a year, which was miraculous. Oh, wow. So the Navy counted those two years that I was at the University of Florida in the Navy ROTC toward my enlistment. So they only made me go until my original enlistment date, uh, the conclusion of my original enlistment. Interesting. Is that typical or is that I, I don't know how it operates you know, for everyone, but that's what they did wow. in that situation. So I, I fulfilled my year, and then I came back to the University of Florida. So you enrolled back at the same university where yeah. you had previously flunked out. That's right. Basically. That's right. Wow. Yeah, yeah. so I, I played trombone. And so I, I began from the very beginning, uh, you know, taking the classes for a music ed program. Hmm. Uh, and so uh, that's probably 1987. I didn't end up graduating until 1994. Yeah. So wh- how did you pay for your way through school? Uh, working in, in church, in gotcha. ministry. Yeah, so being on church staff. So so I've been on church staff since I've been since I was 19 years old. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So then walk us forward. So in 1994 you finally mm-hmm. graduated with yeah. a, a music degree, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Let's step forward in time a little bit. Okay. So I know you today as the pastor of High Point Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Can you tell us how you came here? Sure. Um so uh I went to Southern Seminary and uh, I finished a Master of Divinity degree and a Master of Theology degree, and uh, I began the PhD program. And I was pastoring a church in Indiana, which was 45 miles upriver from Louisville, Kentucky. So I'm there four and a half years, and uh, don't know what the Lord has in store. I'm, I'm prepared to be there for the rest of my ministry. Uh, things don't work out. I realize I need to resign. And so I resigned without anywhere to go. And um, the very next Sunday, uh, as I'm driving home from church, the, the very next Sunday after I resigned, a friend called and said, hey, Juan, I know that you're not interested in going anywhere, because he knew my heart. I know you're not interested in going anywhere, but my mother-in-law's church, um, uh, they're, they've just started looking for a pastor, and I just want to see if you'd be willing to let me put your resume in. And it was in Orange Park, Florida. Hmm. It was a couple hours away from the beach, where we vacation every year. Yeah. And so I thought, man, this th- this is definitely of God. You know, going back to Florida, close to family, close to the beach, which is what I love. And then um, I'm in a doctoral seminar, and um, one of my colleagues comes up to me and he says, Juan, I got to tell you about this church in Texas. And uh, I come home and I tell my wife, I seen my friend Aaron was telling me about this church in Texas. And her response was, you told him no, right? <laughs> and, and as Janine and I are having this conversation, the phone rings, and it's Aaron again. And Aaron says, hey, Juan, um, I, I just want to encourage you to contact, uh, it was a, a person that was familiar with this church. So I call Matt Smucker, and Matt tells me, uh, about the church, and as I'm having that conversation with Matt, the Lord breaks my heart for this church. It was a really a sad situation, tremendous financial debt. 
hmm. which for me, that was a, a huge problem. Hmm. The, there wasn't any illegal financial dealings, but it was just a, a mismanagement of finances being applied toward the debt. And so the church had dwindled down in size from from where it was. It had 1,500 members, but only about 300 people coming on Sunday morning. Oh, wow. Um, the the debt was about $4.2 million. And so wow. they couldn't service the debt. What, 300 members? I mean, yeah, that's crazy. yeah, yeah. So in spite of that, the Lord just drew me uh, to this church. You know, one was the elders, you know, in conversation with the elders, you know, uh, later, um, uh, it, it it was described to me as a multi-ethnic, multicultural church. That was something that I wanted to be a part of. It was in a college town, which was my whole reason for pursuing a PhD. It was to be in a place where there were PhDs, and I would have a little bit of credibility um, uh, of you know having pursued the same degree mm-hmm. that professors have have pursued. Um, a, a combination of all those things and the fact that this church is in a very dire situation, um, uh, I thought, okay, if this is where the Lord leads, I'm willing to go. Hmm. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I tell Matt, I said, okay, go ahead and, and submit my resume. And the situation was as bad, you know. It was just uh, as bad as you It, it was told. just as bad as I've been told. You know, they had disciplined the previous pastor. Mm. You know, so so it, it was a church that was hurting. Mm. It had a good doctrinal foundation. The leadership structure was sound. Um, you know, the elders were faithful brothers. So everything was in place for a revitalization, but they just needed the leadership, mm. you know, from a senior pastor. Mm. And so I was very happy to come in and... Uh, as I look back, you know, it, it was, it, it's like the Lord prepared me for this place through the difficult ministry I had previously in Indiana, you know, where, uh, where the Lord brought me to a place where, uh, you know, I could utilize my Spanish. Um, it was a college town. Uh, it was a multicultural, multi-ethnic church. And it was, it was as if the Lord had shaped me my whole life in ministry to be here. Yeah, and so you know, looking back, it just confirms you know God's God's providence and His providential circumstances to bring me here uh, were pretty clear and powerful. Wow, that's that's a, that's a beautiful story. Just hearing how you came to High Point. Yeah. Recently, my family has been enjoying Redeem TV. They're a Christian streaming service that's ad-free and fee-free, with over a quarter million subscribers spread throughout the world. We love their wide selection of movies, documentaries, and children's programming. And their library of edifying titles is always growing and is sure to have something for you. For your next family movie night, I encourage you to visit RedeemTV.com or download one of their apps to your device or smart TV and start streaming goodness wherever you go. And don't forget, they have no fees and no ads. Get started at RedeemTV.com. Um, let's talk. Let's talk about High Point, if we could, for a sure. second. Tell us. Um, um, High Point is very unique. Tell us about why it's unique in in those ways. God, in His mercy, has gathered together a very diverse congregation here at High Point. Hmm. You know, people from different ethnicities and different cultures: Anglo, African American, Hispanic, um, brothers from Asia, from Africa. Um, you know, from different parts of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Something interesting, like when I pull up into the parking lot mm-hmm. of High Point, I can see all these flags yes. outside, that, and they're not American flags. Right. They're flags of 
nations around the world. Can you right. expound on that? Sure. You know, part part of the philosophy is that the body of Christ is made up of a uh, a multi ethnic people. You know, from every tribe, you know, uh, nation and language. And so we want to be representative of that, but the, the flags that we fly more specifically uh, have some kind of a connection relationship with High Point. You know, we also have the American flag and the, the state of Texas flag as well, you know, it's appropriate. But, but when we gather together, um, we want to communicate that our identity is in Christ first and foremost. Mm. And we have been transferred from this world to the kingdom of God's beloved son. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our mission is not dependent on the kind of government where Christians exist. You know, so so the church in Iraq or the church in Iran, the underground church in Iran or China, we have the same mission. And uh, it is not hampered by uh, a totalitarian government. Mm-hmm. Amen, amen. <laughs> Can you talk a little about High Point? And I know that you represent many people from around the world. Um, can you talk a little more about that? Um, I realize that in evangelical circles today, multi-ethnic ministry is the sexy thing. Yeah, Everyone wants to be a multi-ethnic church. And, yeah. and, and the danger that I'm concerned with is that you do it for the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. with the wrong motives, uh, in the wrong ways, and in a way that might not... <laughs> be truly reflective of where God has placed you. Mm. I think the better way of thinking of it is rather than saying, okay, we have to have black, white, Asian, Hispanic, old, young, you know, is who lives around your church building? Mm. And what are you doing to reach the people that are around your church building? And if we're being faithful to the mission that Jesus has given us, our church should reflect the diversity of our neighborhood. You know, it's not just diversity, it's what I call a unified diversity. Mere diversity is not God-glorifying. Mm-hmm. It's unified diversity. Yeah. It, it's when when people from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic levels, different educational backgrounds, different ethnicities, different cultures come together and live as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's miraculous. You know, that's the power of the gospel. And I want to make sure to say that this is what we're doing here. This is These are the convictions the Lord has placed on me and on our elders. I'm by no means trying to say this is what every church must do. You know, every church and in, in, in its pastors has to work through these kinds of things together. Right. And has to come to, to conclusions as to how to best care for their church and how to best reach their community. Yeah. Well, thanks, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Tell us how you are involved in other ways of ministry beyond just being the pastor at High Point. At the broader evangelical level, outside of High Point, um, I'm also a member of the Gospel Coalition Council, and um, and that's an encouraging time because we get to meet with other brothers that you know may not some are Southern Baptists, but not all are uh, that all share the same gospel, uh, and we get to think through things. Uh, together in order to remain faithful hmm. in the gospel. Yeah. And uh, we put on a conference every other year. Uh, we'll have one in 2019. We're church in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention, you know, at the national level. And at the state level, um, our association is with the, uh, the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention. I happen to be president of that state convention, you know, this year. And then I'm also president of Coalición, which is the the Spanish uh, side of the Gospel Coalition. So the ministries that that I tend to focus on are ministries that will help local pastors uh, strengthen the church and, and bring churches back to some semblance of health. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. I think this ties into the last question I have for you, actually, okay. which is based on you know the the wide range of experiences that you've had um, through various ministries and churches. What excites you the most today? And and maybe you just touched on that, but just kind sure, of sure. Con- condense that for us. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that excites me is is in spite of all the chaos that we see in this world around us, Jesus is King. Yeah, His Lord. Amen. That doesn't change anything. Yeah, our mission is clear. It's unchanging. It's the same. But one of the things that that excites me, and we see this here at High Point, is there's a. Uh, I mean, I see this in yourselves. There is a a great number of young people that are getting it, that love the Lord, that have a, a, a view of God as great and sovereign and mighty and holy, that have a heart for the nations. And and, and this is something that we didn't even see in the 1950s, I think, hmm. you know, when, when everything was great and, you know, uh, civil religion was at its highest, and yet biblical illiteracy was also at a high rate. Hmm. You know, what we see is a young generation of people that are fed up with uh, with squishy evangelicalism, they're fed up with um, preaching that is soft and shallow. They're fed up with light, you know, Christianity light. They they want their questions answered. You know, uh, they're not afraid of hard answers. They they want to love the Lord. They want to they love the nations. They want to get their hands dirty. And so I'm just very excited about the up-and-coming generations and what the Lord is doing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Juan, thank you so much my for just joining us on the show. It's yeah. been a pleasure being here yeah, with thank you. Thank you all, and it's been my pleasure. Romans says that the kindness of God leads people to repentance, and this couldn't be any more true for Juan. The very thing that drew Juan into relationship with Christ was the love and acceptance he couldn't find in anyone or anything else. You can learn more about Juan and his church, High Point, at our website, compelledpodcast.com. There we'll include links to his church, books and articles he's written, and more. We'll also include a link to a Facebook post where you can join the conversation surrounding this episode. Also, Juan has graciously donated three autographed copies of his newest book, Seven Dangers Facing Your Church. If you'd like to win a copy of his book, simply leave a comment on our Facebook post or share our Facebook post, and you'll be entered into a drawing at the end of this week. Again, you can find the link to our Facebook post at our website, compelledpodcast.com. You can find our other podcast episodes at our website or by subscribing to Compelled on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, and many other podcast platforms. New episodes are released every Tuesday. Also, we'd like to say thanks to everyone who has shared our podcast and our stories ever since we launched our show a month ago. Thanks also to all of you who have left reviews or five-star ratings wherever you get our podcasts. It means a lot to us. Our show was edited by Zach Fowler, who is a gifted film editor, visual effects artist, and storyteller. You can find Zach and his work at ZachFowlerImagery.com. Our logo was designed by Josiah Jost, an incredibly talented logo designer. You can reach Josiah and view his work at SiaDesign.com. Our website was created by Ben Billups, a digital developer extraordinaire. You can follow Ben on Instagram at Ben.Billups. Special thanks to my wife, Sarah Hastings, for helping make this project a reality. Without her, this podcast wouldn't exist. And that's it for this episode. 
Stick around after the music for a sneak peek of next week's episode. Our guest will be Steve Cleary, a man whose calling to the mission field has been unorthodox, to say the least. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and you've been listening to Compelled. We'll see you next Tuesday. You know, I'm thinking I'm a Christian. Everything should be... Should be good. Should be, be rosy. peachy keen, right? And Christians shouldn't have problems. And I had read the book, Tortured for Christ. These guys are getting beaten up for being Christians. And so I had this, this conflict in my life. And I decided the only thing to do was to reread the Bible. And I found out somebody had switched my Bible. This was not the same Bible I had read for for 10 years. Mm. This was a Bible that spoke about suffering and persecution and how it glorifies God and, and what we face, the trials and tribulations we face in this world. And I realized that my faith is the one that was wrong. One last thing before I go. If you'd like to meet up this year in 2024, I will actually be on the road for a few events, either speaking or exhibiting at some conferences. I am still nailing down all the details, but already I know that I'll be at the Texas Homeschool Convention in Fort Worth from April 18th through 20th, the other Texas Homeschool Convention in Houston from May 30th through June 1st, the Home Educators Association of Virginia Convention in Richmond from June 6th through 8th, and there's also the chance that I might be at some other events in Louisville, Kentucky and Nashville, Tennessee later in the year, but we haven't finalized those details yet. If you live near any of those locations, then I'd love to meet you. You can also see our latest up-to-date calendar of events at our website, compelledpodcast.com events. And I hope to see you there.